We're here with Kevin Gordon Barrow, CEO and founder of Mark Labs. Uh, Kevin, I know you've been traveling a lot over the past couple of weeks, but it's, it's great to have you here in DC. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So in terms of your travel, you said, what, you bit, you were at the border of Syria, then you were in London, the then Turkish you were in New York. <laughs> okay, so how did, what, yeah. what, so what were you doing, like, what did that look like? like uh, the last five weeks, wow, so yeah. it's just been pretty incredible. So uh, it all started off with Nexus, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Nexus Global, yeah. uh, f- uh, founded by a really inspiring, very good friend, Jonah Whitcamper. Uh, it's all about the next generation of ultra high net worth individuals that are committing to using their family's wealth to um, radically transform the world for the better. So it's a community of about 5,000 individuals. The collective net worth of the community is about $700 billion. And uh, and uh, coming from all over the world, literally from uh, Sub-Saharan Africa to Australia, New Zealand, obviously Europe and the United States, uh, Latin America. And these are young people who are committed to investing their money uh, along impact, ESG, uh, you know, things that are going to protect the environment, protect society, and protect human dignity. And it was probably one of the most inspiring conferences I've ever attended. From there, jumped over to Europe. Uh, you know, there a few, in Germany specifically, there are a few interesting organizations um, coming from very different parts of the world that are looking to measure their impact in a really uh, profound way. Like mm. the, the Henkel organization, uh, you know, uh, has this powerful matriarch, Frau Henkel, that is really passionate about sustainability and impact, and they're looking to figure out how they could take it to the next level. Um, you have the Otto family, famously, anyone Germans out there would know them because of the Otto catalog, and Benjamin Otto is uh, looking to take the billions that he has, carve out a bit that's going to be testing and experimenting on how it could be used um, to better drive impact and uh, and we're speaking with them about a collaboration to about doing the measurement piece behind that portfolio and then went to the UK where there are meetings with Barclays with the Conduit with just all sorts of really exciting people and uh, the the de Resistance was time spent in Turkey and uh, there's a really exciting portfolio, uh, something called SDGIA, um, SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, uh, and um, it's an impact accelerator that we are doing the measurement uh, of the, uh, of essentially as a public-private partnerships between the Turkish government, United Nations, Bill Melinda Gates Foundation, Limbach, and Ashrafashi. And uh, yeah, they're doing really exciting things around helping the Syrian refugees. So. All that was the last five weeks, so if I sound a bit out of it, it's probably due to a combination of jet lag, sleep deprivation, tons of excitement, and uh, having a workload that is not going to get done anytime soon. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> so. that's all amazing. I mean, I mean, even more grateful to have you here with us today. One thing you mentioned are that, so ESG, is that environmental social goals, or what, what does that it, stand Environmental for? social and governance. So these are uh, pretty much, uh, so I, in, it, it's, it's a framework which has developed to help um, corporations think about the impact that they're having in the world. And it's far from perfect, but it's uh, it's a very helpful lens that allows uh, corporations to look at these angles and in a manner which actually can be integrated into the very DNA of their operations, as opposed to something like CSR, which has traditionally been set off to the side as not necessarily part of the core business operations and so it's a it's a helpful frame right it's a helpful frame yeah and it's you know it's super important especially for 
the entrepreneurs that are operating in the space to understand, you know, what do the investors, what does the investor side actually care about and how should they be approaching them? Uh, and it's fantastic. So something you mentioned uh, that all these young people with money are now looking for Absolutely. the impact yeah. of their investment, which is, you know, an amazing thing of, of our generation where it's like, it's not just the return, but now that we're kind of uh, at a broader level aware of our uh, responsibility as, you know, stewards of, of this planet, I don't think we really realized that before probably the 50s. And before that was kind of, um, we, we, we understood the, the impact that we were having on the planet. Um, but for, Actually, if I could just jump in right yeah, there. Something really exciting. So you have um, asset managers like Nuveen and Majidi, which are on the you know, smaller side of the asset management universe, um, but doing really incredible things about looking at uh, the impact of their portfolios and making sure that they're really uh, taking it to the next level. They don't want, they're, they're not interested in marketing. They're not interesting in, interested in the, um, in the warms and fuzzies. They want to make sure that the portfolios that they are creating and offering to their stakeholders are actually driving real impact. Like to quote um, one of the women that we spoke with at Nuveen, we want to be able to make sure that we're driving longitudinal outcomes. Right? Yeah. And then on the other hand, you have the Fidelities, BlackRocks, and Vescos of the world. And what unites um, these guys who are in the smaller kind of like tens to hundreds of billions and then these massive uh, asset managers that have a trillion plus in terms of AUM, I think uh, uh, BlackRocks now is a six trillion plus, uh, you know, uh, is that young people uh, are the stakeholders that they are really concerned about, that they are the ones that are putting pressure. It also comes with, obviously, the institutional capital and the family offices and what have you, but they realize that if they're going to remain relevant, right, then, uh, you know, then, and they're going to be able to court this stakeholder group, uh, then they have to take these things into account. And in a manner, um, the, given the radical transparency that exists in the universe today, um, you know, it has to be real. Right. And that is what is really exciting. This distinguishes us from the ethical investment movements of previous generations, is that right now, um, real impact is what people are concerned about. Right. And, and it's also the large corporates that have these supply chains that, you know, Absolutely. they certainly have um, responsibility and financial interest in making their supply, sta- supply chain sustainable. Absolutely. Right. Um, Absolutely. But when, 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 you, when you're saying the word, the word impact, is do you find that these funds are aligning impact with the SDG goals or like how... Or is impact a, re- a relative thing, fund to fund? So, in what what, we, what we've observed is that the entire impact universe is lacking standardization, mm. right? So, to just think about this as being only for um, gap, you know, uh, generally accepted accounting principles like existed, uh, you know, there were there were there was no universal uh, framework for being able to assess the health of a company, right? And where we are when it comes to social impact is something very similar. Like, I mean, there are uh, the usual suspects out there that um, people look at, whether it's like using the SDGs or using gin or what have you. But, uh, but there is not, as of yet, um, a standardized universal set. And so what uh, one asset manager, what uh, one impact investor, what one corporation or foundation or NGO would call impact is not consistent. And that's one of the challenges that um, drives the adoption of platforms like ours, actually, um, because organizations are looking to bring some sort of discipline to the way they think about these processes, and they want to make sure that what they're doing is measurable and real, which is incredibly important because 
if you're purporting to your investors or to some sort of to a donor or what have you that you're going to have a certain type of impact, you actually have a fiduciary duty to do so. And um, and so there's kind of like the legal and compliance element. But then you know, for the people that are truly driven in this space, they actually want to make sure that they are having that impact. They are having making that difference. And so that's where a platform like ours comes in and helps people to do something. Yeah, and I mean, tell us yeah. a little bit more about Mark Labs because it seems like I mean wow. you're doing some great <laughs> stuff in the space, and it seems like you're you're in a fantastic fantastic position to be one of the people that uh, pioneers a new gap gap like framework right for for the industry, which which maybe we can pioneer on the show <laughs> here today. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So, um, so Mark Labs just started while I was a student at Georgetown, right? And um, and it was amazing. I, I I still remember those days. I was kind of like considered the crazy eccentric grad student <laughs> spent more time in the library and the grad student cubby holes and uh, it was highly questionable when was the last date that I'd showered <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, and I, I just became really obsessed you know I was studying finance and uh, you know I remember when I, while I was learning about modern portfolio theory I kind of asked myself a very fundamental question well if we're able to allocate hundreds of trillions of dollars in real time with the goal of being able to minimize risk and maximize the probability of achieving a certain type of financial return. Why can't we do that in the social impact sector? Why can't we allocate resources at scale in an intelligent, data-driven way um, with the goal of achieving some sort of social return, kind of like an SROI, social return on investment, and actively um, in terms of the choice of the various components of our portfolio, um, minimize and mitigate that risk with the goal of achieving that outcome. And I remember speaking to one of my professors, and uh, she said to me, uh, "Like that's impossible. It's <laughs> just not going to happen." And um, and I asked her why, and she gave me a list of reasons. Gave me a Dropbox full of you know a, a dozens and maybe at least sixty articles with the goal of with these resources, I would go away and <laughs> hopefully never come back. And I, or I tucked in, you know, went through them, and less than a week later, I was knocking on her door, uh, do you have time? And you literally just saw her, like, hold her head, just thinking, who is this crazy fool? But, um, you know, it led to this really interesting experiment of speaking to people from the, uh, the UN, the World Bank, IMF, IFC, uh, you know, um, corporations, NGOs, high net worth individuals, foundations, people in the global north, the global south, uh, like you know, just really with the goal of trying to understand why aren't things working, right? And um, when you start to peel beneath all of the veils and the layers, one of the things that you found was that it is actually truly impossible um, today to take a systems approach to problems that allow you to move beyond the surface layer and systematically target the root causes in a manner that allows you to um, address and um, and uh, well, one day you know uh, uh, remove them and uh, and at the core of that is a lack of good data, a lack of good data on um, what the problems are, a lack of good data on what is actually being achieved at the organizational and as well as at the project level, the the, the the data integration challenges in terms of bringing those two together, in terms of understanding how the ecosystem actors, the public sector, the private sector, the philanthropic sector, how do all of these you know, you know, interoperate to in, in order to actually address the problems that are being had? And the lack of really good, you know, standardized, useful, timely, relevant data 
in all these spheres kind of means that we are uh, we have no blueprint um, we uh, we're trying to build a, and and we're trying to build a you know, uh, you know a tower in the dark where everyone mm-hmm. has and everyone's just you know, throwing their bricks and their mortar and whatever and no one's able to coordinate and you don't know it, it, it just very quickly becomes a disaster right and, and so with all of the good intentions with all of the money which is being spent like Americans last year I think donated over a third of a trillion dollars um, into uh, into into the nonprofit sector and even if you remove the money that's going to religious organizations and uh, hospitals and universities whatever we're still dealing with a really you know sizable percentage of a trillion dollars that is going into the philanthropic space every year and not able to achieve the potential outcomes that the donors and the people who are daily getting up to do this good work could is, achieve. is that number is that American citizens or like with with corporate no involved? no no corporations are Quite okay. uh, yeah. are, are quite mightily relative to the American people. Like the American people are putting out. I think last year may have been, um, you know, uh, the three hundred forty plus billion dollars. And I think corporations are. Uh, I mean, I, again, my, my numbers. I, I look at so many numbers on a daily basis. But I think it was it was less than thirty, or mm. hovering around thirty. So twenty to wow. thirty, somewhere in that range. So uh, the American people are very generous people, and consistently so. And uh, and I think we owe it to them and to that part of our uh, our spirit to um, provide the tools which allow that resource, which is intended to be catalytic for um, the achievement of human benefit, to uh, uh, to to be used and put to work in a manner which helps to alleviate the problems that are there. Right. I love that. It's amazing. <laughs> and I mean, it goes to show how. I mean, first off, you know. Maybe your idea was crazy in the moment when you were at Georgetown, but the professor that you had couldn't foresee the market trends. And I think a lot has changed in the market towards, um, you know, whether it's climate change or what's happening Absolutely. with some of the sustainable development yeah. goals being, um, or just, you know, the large, <laughs> the large budgets that they have to right. kind of get those out there, like kind of changed the market in a way that really positioned you at the time to be uh, uh, at the forefront of this revolution. And do you find that giving, um, transparency into the effectiveness of their impact and their, their, their charity investments. Is that something you think is going to cause corporates to increase their budgets for this stuff? Is that, is that the kind of prediction? Uh, absolutely. So th- th- there are two things there. One, how this is going to affect, um, you know, kind of like the way that corporates and others do things. And then kind of like a, would like to take a step back and kind of like address the bigger picture in terms of kind of like what my professor was Seeing, seeing would have made some of the driving forces and what's changed. And okay. so, about like, um, pull, the mic oh, yeah, a absolutely, bit, pull the mic absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, and so, and so addressing the, 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 the first, I think that you know, that many corporations, uh, you know, when it came to like the reason why CSR sometimes was part of the marketing department was because, in if you can't measure, it, then it's kind of it's, it's not real, there was no real way to 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 capture and. And, and, and really, um, you know, translate that into an alignment with a true um, double or multiple bottom line objective. And so the idea is, you know, we have to have some way of justifying and integrating this into our, um, you know, our responsibility to shareholders. And so, like, you know, let's just make sure we're at least telling the message, right? Because that's the best we can do 
given the resources that are out there. I think that um, what the corporate perspective was is somehow deeply related to my professor statement that what she was looking at was not um, uh, was, was was not a um, an unfair um, sentiment given the universe that she was familiar with coming from I mean, she was a business school professor not a technology professor but I think what's interesting is that what has changed is that for arguably the first time in human history uh, you know something there's been a, a cosmic alignment and that cosmic alignment is that we have the resources right we have the will we have the urgency like literally the amazon's on fire I and mean, literally the oceans are you know almost every fish has microplastics and is poisoned I and mean, you could go on and on i mean democracy arguably the greatest challenge to democracy right now is, is social inequity and social injustice right and everything that comes out of that but what's unique is that we also have the technology we have the technology which makes it possible, affordable, feasible to bring the complexity of uh, social interaction and social engagement and social investment and all of the various KPIs and components and interoperabilities and uh, network effects and, um, and the dynamics of what goes into stimulating social change in catalytic moments. We have the ability to bring all of that together right and to actually do something before one of those four things was missing and the fact that we have all of those together and that we genuinely have kind of a will to survive the 21st century that um creates this moment and yeah. and and that's what's really exciting and here i'm always i always there's a quote of bill gates actually it's the only one of his that i know but it's the one that i really like and it's that people often underestimate or, or people often overestimate what can be achieved in a year and underestimate what can be achieved in 10. And I think that when you bring your resources, will, urgency, and technology together and you have a longitudinal perspective, you're not looking for the, for everything to be immediate, but you have that delay of gratification, you're really able to, willing to make investments in things that truly can make a difference, then everything becomes possible. Right. I mean, I'm super optimistic about the future, and I think I mean a lot of a lot of my friends are are more on the, I would say on the pessimistic side, <laughs> to, to be honest. And well, I think one of the problems nowadays is uh, mainly in the media. Uh, the internet has kind of broken the the business model that like the big mm. mainstream media players used to have, and so now they're kind of even more desperate for attention, eyeballs, clicks, and all that. Yeah, yeah. And so that creates an environment of it misaligns incentives all around. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why we have a broader negative view of our future versus like all the tools and technology and uh, the just the mind power of the millennial generation that Absolutely. we have. It's I mean, it's it's the most valuable asset when you combine it that we've ever had in, in history, right? Um, one of the things that excites me the most about your platform, I don't know if this is how kind of it's it's being used currently, but like if you're able to give these corporates a way to like measure and kind of visualize the impact that their CSR is having, I mean, I can't imagine a more powerful marketing tool for them to use that to to show millennials. It's like, hey, you know, we're not just one of these companies that's that's uh, talking about you know the, our our CSR like virtue signaling about the impact we're having. Like this, this is it. Like look at this, right? Absolutely. I think that what's amazing, and 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 there are really noteworthy um, corporations that it just 
and that I, I, I that I, I just we'd be cautious in just in terms of non-disclosures, what have you. But mm-hmm. um, what's amazing is that what we're seeing with corp- the corporations that are attracted to our platform are ones that are looking to move away from uh, CSR and genuinely integrate sustainability and impact into their very way of being. So is right. CSR terms that's that's going out the wayside? Or? So I think that CSR in terms of corporate social responsibility, many times that's been kind of like, you know, um, we destroy with our right and we sprinkle fairy dust with the left. Right? right. <laughs> and, yes. And um and you're and millennials are not going to accept that, right? You know, they're gonna be like, Oh great, you planted a few trees while you Freaking screwed over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is a point. Which is a point. Right. Or, or materiality. <laughs> right. One of the things that we're really pioneering is this notion of you know what is the, is there materiality to your impact? Like you know if mm. you're destroying the oceans and then you paint a few fences or you donate to an after school program, you know like like th- there's not a complementarity between the impact that you're having, um, both in in the universe and and. The good that your organization is trying to to do, and so when you when corporations you know come to Mark Labs, what they're actually interested in doing is analyzing their operations, their supply chain, whatever philanthropic initiatives that they're doing, and bring that across all of their business units, across all of their geographies, into one comprehensive understanding of what they're doing, and figure out what are the levers that they can pull in a contextual manner, in a context-driven manner that is going to allow them to figure out, okay, this is what we're, that's going on in in uh, in Southern Africa or in Johannesburg particularly, and this is these are levers that can be pulled. These are exposures and from a risk perspective and the opportunities that are available along our supply chain in Southeast Asia. This is a priority of ours in terms of making sure that um, women are paid the same thing as men and we are going to shift all of our business along our supply chain to organizations that have um, fair um, that have, that minimize the wage gap and have women in their in leadership roles and so there are all these really interesting ways that companies are bringing the values in terms of how they spend money along their supply chain and how they operate within their business and um, and bring that into real life. And what's amazing is that the companies that are genuinely doing that are, are conscious of that and are literally empowering people at every level of their company to integrate that type of data into the decisions that they are making. Um, you're, they're going to be the companies that are able to recruit the millennials. They're the companies that the millennials will not say after two years, you know, peace out, right? You know, that, they, that there's going to be the companies that people are, are proud of. Like, you know, like I mean, we all know uh, various banking scandals from fake accounts and other things that have been out there in the world, right? The companies that are doing that, how do you hold your head high and say, I work there, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You can't. You can't. How do you go to university campus and say, hey, you know, join the company that's screwing over the poor. Join the company that's screwing over minorities. Join the company that is, uh, you know, that, that is damaging the rainforest or the oceans or, 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 um, or has a complete indifference to the role that plastics are uh, playing in, uh, you know, in contemporary society. Or, you know, or, or, or well, join us, young lady. We pay women 30% less than the guys, right? You know, the, the, the companies that are doing these things are going to find it you know, a credibly difficult um, space to be able to um, recruit and retain best talent. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I feel that there is this increased um, sense of um, responsibility. You know, one of the things that I was listening to NPR last night and uh, there was someone who called into a show and he was saying that the difference between millennials and previous generations is that, um, that 
we do we might start with the with ourselves but uh, you know then we, we start with ourselves and then we create community as opposed to you know previous generations that focus on community and because that focus on community um you know kind of you know quash the voice of self right and and uh, and so it's more conforming right and he said like we're less likely to conform but if we find once we've established our values we're attracted to the communities which reflect those values right and i thought that was really powerful and that's something which um asset managers that want their capital to invest and put to work companies that want their um human capital um and uh you know and politicians that want their votes are increasingly realizing yeah that was probably um Ten minute longer answer to a question. no, that was fantastic. That was fantastic, <laughs> and, I, and no, and I mean I agree, especially along the lines of like millennials having that individual voice. But it's also you know we should be grateful to the internet and the tools that we have available to us. Like I was talking with um, my uncle a couple weeks ago, where it's like, man, millennials have it so much easier for when it comes to entrepreneurship because we have these tools that we can reach such a scale where it's Absolutely. like. I mean, if you read what, like, I mean, like Carnegie or Rockefeller had to go through to build what they built, like, imagine if they, you know, they had the tools <laughs> available to them or if they just post on Facebook, like, you know. Um, and so, you know, there, there is an element of that. And I do, I do want to touch on, because I know there are a lot of impact entrepreneurs listening yeah. in and an increasing amount of millennials are looking towards, like, how can I start something that, uh, you know, I can build into a business, but is there's an impact component. So, like, with in your travels, like, where have you seen the... Um, like the hubs, like what startup ecosystems around the world are kind of, you know, ahead when it comes to like being hubs for impact capital? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a really, uh, really great question. Um, I, I, I just, as I mentioned, came back from Turkey and, and what was amazing is that, you know, there in the middle of, you know, just, you know, in, you know whether it was in Ankara, Istanbul, Gaziantep, you know, uh, you, you literally saw entrepreneurs that were social entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs that didn't even wouldn't have even maybe used applied the name social entrepreneur to themselves that were trying to solve real world problems using um, market dynamics and that was actually um, really exciting or um, you see organizations like TechStars which you know, full disclosure they're one of our investors so yeah this is not a plug but one of the things that really excites me inspires me about the way that they think about the universe is that they're like everywhere has the potential to be uh, you know, a hub. It's not just Silicon Valley. It's not just Toronto. It's not just London. You know, it's that uh, or Berlin. It's like you know, um, wherever there is uh, the human spirit and, uh, and a desire to be innovative and um, bring ingenuity to the fore, that is a viable place for entrepreneurship to take root. Right. Um, obviously, you know, the access to, um, to 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 resources to capital is incredible. Um, component which allows you know, let's say like you know, the, the, the U.S., Western Europe, Israel, like certain places to take off because like that capital is flowing and investors have their eyes um, on those markets. But I'm just really heartened, especially by the Turkish example. By uh, you know, I think that's a perfect example of a, com- a country which has a lot of very real problems. We know what's going on in Turkey today, but you know, but nonetheless, in spite of that, you know, the entrepreneurship, entrepreneurial spirit can take place. Sri Lanka is another example of a place which has just come across my radar, but um, but I, I really feel that we're, we've reached a stage with you know, the, uh, given like what I call like the AWS universe, where like, you know, there are something, things that were really expensive in the past have been, made in some instances free or a minimal cost and 
uh, you know, and entrepreneurs right now, what they really need to have more than anything else is like authenticity on the one hand and a commitment, a genuine commitment to solving the real problem, right? And I would say that what I see in terms of the major difference, and again, this is probably not answering the question which you asked, but um, in between like some of the entrepreneurs that kind of take root in you know, in certain hubs, it's more established hubs and those that take root in less established hubs is that the ones that are taking place in less established hubs are solving real human problems, right? It's not just, you know, I'm going to make this blue <laughs> or I'm going to like to make this one degree marginal improvement. They're actually getting to the core of real processes and there's not an obsolescence which is baked into their innovations. And so, uh, so I think that increasingly, is you know, as long as resources start to flow and you know the technology and availability of uh, what I call the AWS culture continues to permeate, you know, we're going to see some of our best innovations coming from the the Turkeys and Sri Lankas of the world, and right. not so much from the Silicon Valleys and uh, Berlin's. But so, there, but I think yeah. part of the reason for that is because there's not an abundance of capital in these spaces. Yeah, if you're going to build absolutely. a company, yeah, like yeah. you need to be okay, you need to make money first. <laughs> like you know, a company needs to make money, uh, but also you need to be solving a real problem versus what what you get and what what is increasingly becoming apparent to me in Silicon Valley is there's just been this abundance of capital for so long that so many ideas that are just like, you know, like they're just they're not. Good idea. Like they're not going to make money in the long run, and they're not solving real tangible problems. And you know, abund- abundance of capital creates that over time. Right. Versus what you're, what you, you know you see in Turkey and Sri Lanka, what what I've seen in Africa over the past uh, three absolutely. years, and like there's some amazing solutions being built because of the lack of capital. And if there's one thing that you know, I've been doing the show for about three and a half years. If there's one thing I could point to as like why is there a global startup movement, it's 100% the cloud. Because the cloud has enabled entrepreneurs to build on the proliferation of mobile devices all all up in these markets uh, at a in a you know zero cost to start Absolutely. with, and that's Absolutely. the one catalyst for game for um, you know why there's a startup revolution all around the world right now. I, I, I could not possibly agree with you more. There's a really um, two really interesting people at um, Amazon that I've come across in the last few years. Um, one is Teresa Carlson, who runs up the public sector business, which kind of like NGOs and what have you fall under, and, and Ted Anderson, who works like right under her. And um, and what's, what's amazing is that you know the goal, and again, AWS is the one that I know best. I'm sure Azure and Google and others are doing the same thing, but they are really looking to uh, they have as one of their objectives. Obviously, it's completely aligned with their business interests. So, you know, I don't want to paint either as being Mother Teresa or Mandela, but you know, that, but they're completely you know committed to making sure that you know that the NGOs and the non and the foundations and the governments that are trying to solve these problems are able to allocate more resource to the actual problems that they're trying to solve mm-hmm. and not to the infrastructure, not to the engineers, not to the um, tech stacks. And so that's, um, and, uh, and that they're able to innovate more quickly, that they're able to pull and integrate resources that 
before would have required months, if not years, of uh, of, uh, of of time to uh, to mature. You know, right. like and they see this with their everything from their AI solution, machine learning solutions, to their blockchain solutions, to even just their mere existence and the protocols and the engineering that they make available. So, mm. so I completely agree with you. Yeah. yeah. So, Kevin, this has been fantastic. One one thing I want to make sure we cover before we sign off is yeah. just. Uh, talking a little bit about some of the the KPIs that are in the impact world, and uh, you yes. know, uh, I, I know you're under NDA with some of your clients, but yeah. like when it comes to the the main KPIs that some of your your corporate or NGO clients are focused on, I mean, can can you give us some insight in, into those? Absolutely. So, um, an example that I frequently uh, cite to kind of like frame a response to your question is thinking about homelessness, which, you know, kind of sounds like a simple problem. You don't have a home, <laughs> right? Uh, it's like, I mean, it seems ostensibly less complicated than, say, public health or dealing with nutrition or dealing with uh, education or, like, it's just, it's just there, there are many instances where there, where there are issues which uh, you, you necessarily see all the multiple layers and interdependencies. Um, but you know, let's just look at this from the frame of um, mental health, recidivism, job training, and affordable housing. So there are many other causes, but just imagine there are NGOs or um, social enterprises that are committed to those four frames. The types of KPIs that they would look at in order to address the problem from their perspective, particular lens are actually considerably different. Like recidivism, job training, affordable housing, um, you know, I don't remember the fourth one they mentioned, but the, you know, they are, um, you know, they're all trying to address the problem of uh, of someone not having a, a reliable place to rest their head at night. But the types of KPIs that they look at are very different. And now imagine that you are trying to look at the difference of these issues between a city like New York or in the Bay Area where they have homelessness problems, or even here in the nation's capital in Washington D.C. and compare that with what's going on in Cape Town or Mumbai or, you know, or, you know, or, 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 again, or London. So it's, I, I share this to say that the notion of there being like, like super KPIs that go across all sectors or that go across, um, you know, um, that can be applied to every organization, uh, you know, in the same way that GAP operates is, um, is really doesn't exist, and um, and that that you know, frameworks that impose these oftentimes do a violence to the organization that they're asking organizations to report on things that are not relevant. And so one of the things that we're pioneering, in addition to this concept of real impact, is uh, the idea of that that the KPIs which are being brought to bear um, need to be um, relevant contextual and contextual relevance and, and, and iterative, right? And so, um, and this is where the machine learning protocols that we put into place help to to test that and make sure that organizations are not capturing vanity metrics, that the way that they are thinking about their impact um, is, you know, has uh, some sort of longitudinal value, right? And, and this makes what we're doing much more hard, much harder, much more hard, much harder, um, yeah. But I feel that that is the order of magnitude difference in that, you know, that 10x improvement, which allows us, you know, to borrow like um, uh, 
Peter Thiel language, you know, zero to one the moment. And this is pretty the only thing that I'll probably ever quote Keith Peter Thiel on for the record. But like, you know, with, with that kind of like, you know, the 10x, you know, kind of like innovating in a space, I see that that's the true value that um, that we're bringing. And yeah, so. Amazing. Well, yeah, a, couple so, epi- yeah. a couple episodes ago, uh, we had a conversation about like, there's all these pie in the sky technologies, like, you know, coming out of Silicon Valley, machine learning, blockchain, VR. Uh, so it's great to see someone who's actually applying these to real world solutions. Because that, that was a conversation last time. It's like, right. okay, like how is VR, blockchain, AI, how are these going to actually help people in Africa and Southeast Asia? And- What's amazing is there, there are a few hubs right now, obviously Nigeria and Kenya are the two that come to mind. But um, just you know, this is if you want to look at organizations that are using these technologies to address real world problems, you know, go to Nairobi or yeah. or, or, or set up shop in Lagos for for a few weeks. Oh man, uh, Lagos is crazy. Yeah. I was there. I was <laughs> yeah. there in November. Yeah, be, be careful if you're going there. Nairobi's beautiful. Um, so. One of my friends, Eric Osiakwan, he has this really cool acronym called, it used to be the King's Thesis of Africa, which was uh, like the big five, Kenya, Ivory Coast, Nigeria, Ghana, South Africa, for like where the VC is going. He updated that last year to, to King's Me, which is those five, and then Morocco and Egypt. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, Morocco. So there's an organization which you guys must look into, okay. just for anyone who's listening. It's yes. called Moroc Impact. Okay. And... Um, uh, run by uh, you know t- two really uh, amazing women. So like you know you know, hashtag you know, female power. Like I really feel that the, to the extent that we're able to bring feminization to like feminize technology, feminize the capital markets, and um, feminize the political process. Like bring the power of the of the female mystique to those spaces. That's where you're going to start to see a social change. And Islan and Awatif, two amazing women that are literally working with the government, with some of Morocco's largest um, corporations, with financial institutions. They have very strong relationships with France. And here they are literally single-handedly um, you know, pioneering the process of bringing, um, of, of, of forcing the hand of you know the people with money and power and influence to integrate DNA into the way that they think about the universe. And so, mm-hmm. and, and it's, and, and, I, and I point them out because I think that many times, you know, you kind of like, you know, we hope for things to happen. And these are two, you, you know, um, you know, uh, two fairly ordinary, extraordinary people that have said, you know what, something needs to be done and we have to do it. Right. And they just started this and, you know, and, you know, a few years into it, here they are. And so this is something which, you know, I, I look forward to all the other letters of the alphabet that you get to like, you know, that every African country is represented when you're listing this because you know, ordinary people decide that they're going to you know, do something extraordinary. Yeah. Right? So, well, you have, yeah. you have all sorts of letters with, with African <laughs> countries. So, you know, yeah, exactly. no, no, right. no, no shortage of that. But Ke- Kevin Gorimbero, CEO and founder of Mark Labs, thank you so much for joining us today. Awesome. Thank you so much. Awesome. This has been amazing. Yes, it has. <laughs> all right. Thanks, eh?